Yo, just a quick little uh, intro to this episode. So uh, this probably won't bother most people. I, I hate little noises, little noises in recordings kind of bug me. And uh, for some reason at the start of this episode, there's all these little clicky, tinky noises. I think it might have just been the zipper on my coat. I'm not sure. But yeah, you probably won't even notice, but that's just a thing at the start. There's all these little weird clicky sounds. Which I wouldn't have made an intro just for that, but I figure while I'm doing one, I'll mention that. But I also wanted to mention, like, five minutes into this, I just start this big fucking rant about, like, Oh, I'm at the park, and the park's awesome, and no one's at the park. People are fucking stupid, and fuck everyone, and they're fucking idiots. And just listening back, I'm just like, ugh. Again? Didn't you just say this? Don't, like, how many times? How many times are you going to reiterate this fucking garbage? It's fucking tiresome, but uh, I decided uh, I'll leave it in because cause really it just kind of reveals, like, I don't know, it's like I was thinking about the larger context of this podcast now that it's been going for a couple of years, and I was just thinking it's interesting, like when I was stressed out in Japan, it's like a humbling experience. It's like, oh man, I'm stressed out and I'm far away from home, and it's like, oh, what do I do? I gotta get my shit together. Whereas when I'm stressed and in an annoyed mood in my hometown, it's the opposite. I just get mad. I'm just like, I fucking hate this place. I want to burn everything to the goddamn ground. Because I was thinking last year was kind of the same thing uh, while I was at home. I was going on all these rants about being a queen bee and fucking Napoleon complex crazy ass shit. And like, it's just, uh, it's not coincidence, I think. It's like, yeah, when I'm out in the greater world, it's like, oh man, what a crazy place. This place is fucked up. And it makes me interpret adversity in a different way. Or when I'm back home, uh, I'm just one step away, just one stone's throw from a riot at all times. <laughs> you know, like, my brain is just spoiling for a fight. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that, that this episode, it sort of starts off on the wrong foot. It's got weird little sound problems and then. Then you have to be lectured to by a very annoying man. Anyway, and once you get past that, you know, it's fine. It's an episode. So, all right, let's, uh, let's kick it off. Let's sing the classic theme song. Fucking he's a guy and it's a novel. He is writing and it's being written. It's how to write a novel with the guy and his novel. Hey, welcome to How to Write a Novel. Back on this mountain in my hometown, the place that's keeping me sane. I just find a reason to come here every day. Walk up this hill. This is adding to my ASMR library. I don't know that I got a lot of uh, walking through snow episodes. You know, I've recorded episodes in the winter, but but not trudging up a snow-covered mountain. It really is, it really is pretty over here. Man, we had so much snow where it's like, you know, I came back home and I'm like, oh yeah, winter, winter's kind of cool. This isn't so bad, kind of novel. But it wasn't real winter. We had the crazy winter now where it's like, Suddenly the snow banks are three or four times higher and everything's just like a stupid cartoon. And yeah, I just wanted to record a little episode. I always say that and then it ends up being the longest thing in the world. But while I walk up through this... through this snowy forest... 
of something I noticed writer-wise. Let's talk about writing. Why don't we? Because, yeah, since this is, uh, as I've said, 600 trillion times, so I wrote a nonfiction book, and I learned a bunch of stuff from doing that. But this is my first time writing a novel. Not my first time trying to write a novel, but my first time succeeding. So, you know, I'm running into uh, things that I didn't expect or that I haven't experienced before. And uh, one of them is that I'm, you know, like three quarters of the way through, probably further, probably four fifths. But what I've noticed is uh, I'm definitely, because this is kind of like uncharted territory, being this deep into a story. This is not usual for me. But I'm noticing something that I can already see is like a pattern in my other stories and stuff I think is probably going to be a common thing. And that's that I'm kind of in a no-man's land as far as plotting goes. So, so yeah, there's that sort of generic debate between plotting and... I wish there was a different word. Pantsing is the word for people that don't plot because they write by the seat of their pants. Stupid name and a stupid thing to do. <laughs> so... So what I do, it's mostly plotting, but it's a little of both. Like, I take a bunch of notes. I gather as many notes as I can for a story before I really bear down on writing it. I arrange those notes the best that I can into different topics or chronologically. And then as I write at each section I'm at, I'll go through my notes and find which notes are relevant and arrange those for the given chapter, and maybe I'll go through my other notes. Like, sometimes I'll just go through all the notes, just in case, just to see if something fits that I didn't expect to fit. And I'll use those to guide what I'm writing. So, it's still basically a guideline, but I kind of, you know, I kind of write by the seat of my pants at the same time. Like, I come up with a lot of stuff as I go and in the moment, but it's all guided in a larger sense because, particularly for the ending of a story, I think if you just write by the seat of your pants, you get... You get what you deserve. <laughs> you get a shitty ending. You get something that doesn't come together. Like, it's, a, it's a, not a realistic thing to expect of yourself. It's like you've never done a day of gymnastics in your life, and you expect to do a perfect dismount. Or, I don't know, even if you have done some days of gymnastics in your life, but you're out of practice, like... It's just a bad idea. You're just gonna break your ankle and <laughs> write a bad ending. Speaking of, aside number one, like, I say this a lot in this podcast, like that I wish I could show you what places look like, like that beach I used to always go to in Vancouver and the mountain in uh, Fukuoka. I did make the YouTube video of that, how to hike to the Aburayama Katai observation deck can find it on YouTube so you can see what that looks like but this is one of those things that it's like I wish I could just show because it's like new snow it's all perfectly white they're like birch trees mostly around here I don't know my trees that well birch and something else and they're all covered in snow and it's just gorgeous and it's like 3 p.m. right now it's not dark yet. It's not going to be dark for like three more hours. It's not even that cold. It's been cold lately, but I don't even have my winter hat on right now. I just got like a little hood. It's beautiful, basically, and there's no one here. 
there's not one fucking person here, <laughs> you know? I'm sure eventually I'll run into a dog walker, maybe some snowshoers and cross-country skiers, which I think is cool. I didn't know people did that here. But they'll be few and far between, and right now there's none of them. And yeah, just speaking of people getting what they deserve, <laughs> you know? It's such a unnecessarily mean way to put it, but I remember like uh, when I was in Fukuoka, me and Brad went to this, uh, it's like the rubble of a castle, of an ancient castle that's not there anymore. But it's still pretty cool, like you can go up, up where the, the remains are and see them. And it's right next to the big park in Fukuoka that's like this huge lake. So the lake at least has some people there, because there's a Starbucks and people jog around it and stuff. But this place, there was almost nobody. But we are right in the middle of downtown. You know, like there's crazy foot traffic and cars and everything all around us on all the sides, but we were just in this little calm part because people aren't even willing to walk five minutes out of their way, <laughs> you know, to go somewhere out of the flow of the craziness of modern day society. And yeah, I noticed this all the time. Everywhere I've ever been, like this is what I try to do. I try to find places like this. Granted, I have more free time than most people, but I don't know, I like that saying that like, you should do 10 minutes of meditation a day, and if you don't have time to do 10 minutes of meditation a day, then you need to do 30 minutes of meditation a day. Like, you, you gotta set your own priorities, you know? You gotta fucking arrange your own life. What are you rushing to? I gotta rush home, gotta get home right away so I can stream some garbage on Netflix. Like, what are you really doing if you break down the hours of your life? That there's nobody here. It's so fucked up and there never is, unless it's people walking their dogs. It's the best reason to get a dog. Like, I really think the first world gets what we deserve. We're miserable, we're neurotic, we're depressed. Mental illness is at an all-time high. Everything is falling apart, everything sucks. Everyone's rich and nobody's happy. And it's not like some big fucking mystery, man. When the future looks back at us, they're gonna be like, look at these stupid fucking dickheads, <laughs> you know? checking their fucking little bell icons on their fucking social media apps. But a trail through the woods? No, no time for that. No thank you, please. I'd rather go slowly insane, thanks. That's, uh, that's all right. I'd rather just stay with the noise and the filth and the garbage and the people and the fucking stress and the pressure and the anxiety. I gotta go run up some credit card bills so I can have nice debts to pay off so I can convince myself that the stupid fucking job I'm doing is worth it and is worth the time I'm spending in my one and only precious life. <laughs> you know what I noticed before I started this recording? I don't know, my friend Ray texted me and he's just like asking, oh, how's things? And immediately I was like annoyed. Like, you know how things are, you're from this town. Then he's like, what about your brother? Hanging out with him? No, I'm not fucking hanging out with him! You fuck! <laughs> and that's when I realized, like, oh, I'm tired today. I'm a little cranky baby boy. And I realized that before I started this recording, and I'm like, okay, be a little mindful of that, son. You're in a bad mood today. And immediately it's, it's I'd like, 
it's gotten out of control. <laughs> I've lost, I've lost it. Fuck. Yeah, that's my, this is my joke life. When people look back, if, if anyone ever did, look back on me. I'm in the beautiful place all by myself in the nice quiet park. And all I'm doing is complaining. <laughs> I'm recording myself complaining. Fucking stupid. All right, what was I saying? Oh yeah, writing, so. <laughs> oh yeah, writing. Oh yeah, the writing podcast. That's what we're doing. But yeah, basically, so I've got these notes and yeah, I use the notes to help guide me. But then a lot of the stuff, I'd say in the end, I mean, it's probably about 50-50. It's like 50% of the stuff is ideas I previously had and 50% is things I come up with as I'm writing. You know, that's a little rough, rough estimate. It's probably, the notes actually are probably less than 50%, but whatever, roughly. Like I don't completely follow notes because that's a little stale. And I don't just go by the seat of my pants because that's just going to lead to nonsense. So it's like just enough structure for me. That's what works good for me. Because, uh, yeah, I come up with a lot of stuff as I go that even if I were to try to plot out every little point in a story, it's just not going to, you know, I'm not going to think of stuff that I will think of in the moment. It's a different mindset. It's a different level of focus. But I have, like, a lot of notes. This is for this story, but I've noticed really for pretty much all of my stories. This is kind of what happens. I've got a lot of notes for the start and then quite a few notes for like, you know, whatever, the act two and a bunch of notes for the ending. Although the ending notes tend to be very, like I said before, I really want to have an ending before I get rolling because I don't want to just hope I'll come up with something cool. But the ending is the most uh, unsure. Like with this story, for instance, like the final conversation between the two main characters in this book. When I go back through my notes when I get there, I'm going to have like probably eight to ten different conversations that they're going to have. I just came up with one today on the bus. And they're all roughly the same, but different slants on things. And I won't really know which one fits until I get there, until I really see where the story went and what sort of themes are standing out and what seems important. So definitely the notes are a lot more distinct at the start and a lot more frayed at the end. It's gonna be interesting to see like all the different ones and like pick, pick the winner. But that space in between. So I got the start, I got the early middle to middle is all pretty robust, quite a few notes to deal with there. And then the ending, a bunch of different potential things. But that space in the middle, the three-quarter mark, is kind of a wasteland. I don't have very much. And I've never really gotten here before. You know, this is the first time writing a novel that I've gotten to this no-man's land. And I'm like, whoa, here I am. And it was like disconcerting at first, where I was like, oh, oh man, where's all my notes? Where's all my ideas? I just... Oh, I finally saw a person. One person walked by. Congratulations, person. You're doing it. You're living your best life. Uh, in the case of this story in particular, it's that uh, the rhino girl in the story, she gets control of the space station, basically. And it's just like, 
okay, I'm there now, but now what? And like, I'm realizing how little I really had this planned out because because now that I'm here, I'm like, whoa, how did I not think this through more? This could be really bad. There's so many things about this that could suck. Like this could be a deus ex machina. Like, oh, she just gets to be in charge of the space station. That's convenient. Oh, that's nice. Or maybe it'll come off a lot like a sort of like a weird power fantasy, which I mean, it kind of is. That's definitely an element of it, but I want that to just be in the mix, you know, like one of the themes of this story. It's like one of those things that I want to, I want to reveal the truth about myself as much as I can. Like, I'm the kind of person that'll write this story. This is the kind of weirdo I am. But I don't want to, like I was saying back in the day about like Piers Anthony books, I don't want to have my story be full of weird shit about myself that I don't realize is there. I mean, if that happens, it happens, that's fine. But I want to try to avoid that. Like, I don't want someone to see this story and go, ah, look at this guy. This guy is very clearly compensating for this or trying to express that or like, like this is like unbalanced, you know? Like this guy's got some big issue that he never sorted out and now it's ruining his story, (laughs) you know? Like I'm trying to avoid that happening. And even just from a purely plot based nuts and bolts perspective it's like I don't think I've really justified why so the uh the machine on the station the semi-organic weird fungus mold thing that uh it's not even that really anymore I guess it's really it's just like subatomic particles it's like basically their technology you know that saying that technology when it reaches a certain point is indistinguishable from magic. I mean, it's kind of like that. The magic entity that runs this station. Why did it jump ship and decide that she's the new person who's gonna be in command? And I really didn't have any enough reason for it. I didn't have a good explanation, which is what was making it seem like a deus ex machina or a uh, overly convenient plot contrivance And I definitely had a few days where I was like, huh, you know, like two years into writing this, is this bad? Like, did I really not, did I just fail to plan this out enough? Does this suck? (laughs) You know, it's like, ah, darn. I mean, it might, it definitely might suck. And I got some thoughts about that too that I'll probably get into next episode just about the commercial viability of this book and I've been sort of thinking about where the future of this thing is going to go now that I'm getting toward the end. But yeah, I'll talk about that next time. But I was like, maybe uh, maybe I need to... Like, maybe I should have planned more at the outset and then I was realizing how many stories I have that are like this. Like, I'm also working on an episode of this podcast about that story I had about the people who meet in an airport when I got stranded in, uh, in Moscow. Similar thing. Uh, I've got a bunch for the beginning and a pretty good ending and a bunch for the middle, but yeah, that three-quarter stretch is kind of empty. And the horror movie script I was working on that I blabbed about in one of the episodes, same thing. I got a nice, robust opening, an okay That one doesn't even get as far. I wouldn't even say it gets halfway. And then it's got an ending. 
but the whole middle is just people get chased and murdered by a murder man. <laughs> you know, it's really, really uh, indistinct. I was like, maybe this is a problem. Maybe I need to not dive into a story without having that three quarters of the way through no man's land figured out better. But basically I just kept at it every day, picking away every day. And over the course of the last like week or so, week and a half, it's really cleared up a lot. And I came up with some things like, for example, in the case of this story with the space station, like some of the stuff I came up with is that this thing, the Akamulon is what it's called, the, uh, the system that runs the ship. It's this ancient, you know, weird mold fungus thing that co-evolved with the people of this space station. And they kind of live together in harmony and it helps run their station. But since this isn't their home world, this is some weird little space station out in the middle of nowhere. This is part of that original Akamulon from their home world that they brought over there, but it's been isolated and by itself for a while. And it doesn't necessarily identify with the original anymore. And it's basically, it's like a, a rebellious teen, the same way the main character is a rebellious teen. This thing is the ancient version of a rebellious teen where it doesn't like this. It doesn't like being stranded in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't like just being a system so a bunch of fucking boring scientists can open doors and can do research. It doesn't give a fuck about this. It kind of wants out of here. It doesn't want to stay here and it doesn't want to go back to be re-enveloped by the original homeworld to Kamulan. But what can it do? Like, it doesn't have agency the same way sentient beings do. It can't really speak. It's a different kind of life form. And I had an earlier chapter where our hero, the angry rhino girl, they try to hook her up to this thing, which has never been tried before with her species. And it seems like it works for a second, but then it doesn't. And it's kind of weird that I wrote all this stuff without quite knowing where I was going with it. It's a little more fucking pantser than I tend to be. But as I was thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, you know what the explanation could be? Is maybe the Akamulon, it sees this new being, this new creature. And it sees that they could be compatible. But it's different. Like, with the original species, the Akamulon can really act like a regulator. It can decide who does what. Like, okay, you get the ability to... Maybe you all you can do is open doors and fly taxis. You're just an idiot. And maybe this guy over here can do genetic splicing research, you know? But nobody can do everything. The Akamulon decides who does what. It's the sorting hat. It decides what your life is going to be. So I decided maybe it connects to this rhino creature and it sees like, oh, this... Now this person is different. This person is not homogenous the way my original people are. She's kind of, she's crazy. She's a crazy rhino fuck. The whole book has been about how she's a crazy rhino fuck. She's borderline a bigoted racist, you know? It's like stuff you can do when it's just alien species talking to each other and kind of get away with it a lot more. But this character's a fucking asshole. But the Akamulon is like, oh man, now that person would shake shit up. That person would make things happen. If I want to progress, if I want to evolve, if I want things to be different, this person could make that happen. But I decided the reason the Akamulon hesitated 
is because with this species, it can't regulate. It hasn't co-evolved. It's all or nothing, basically. It's like if I hand the reins over, if I allow myself to become codependent with this new creature, I'm not in the driver's seat anymore. I have to just give it over. I have to give over all the control and all the power, all the fucking space magic that I have. I gotta give it to them. And then I gotta just go along for the ride. Do I wanna do that? Am I willing to do that? <laughs> and basically, yeah, it is. Like, instead of this book being just two characters like it's mainly been, there is actually a third character. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of like, you know, people say that all the time of like, oh, you know, the, uh, the ship in Firefly, it's really its own character. Or, uh, I don't know, what's another example of that? People say that stuff a lot. Really, the planet itself is its own character or whatever. So this is that, except literally. It really is. The space station itself has enough awareness and agency and its own sort of non-verbal sentience that it literally is the new character. <laughs> it's like the love triangle or something. Instead of the two characters that have been talking the whole time, now it's like, hey, I don't have time for you anymore. I got this other character to hang out with and talk to and make plans with and scheme about the future. And it's a little weird because this new character can't speak in a conventional way. And it's a little tough to write. But when I came up with that stuff, I'm like, this all sounds pretty good to me. You know, it's all a pretty good justification for why things have gone this way, why I've given the reins to this Rhino character, why she now has so much sudden power and control over the station. And even though I didn't come up with this stuff ahead of time, I think it's good enough. Like, I think I would buy this. You know, if I was reading this story and someone else wrote it, I don't think I would balk at this. I think this would be okay. Because ultimately, I want the story to go this way. I want her to get power. I want her to take control. I want her to fuck shit up. But I need it to be set up in a way that I can accept. If it just happens out of nowhere, if it's just given over too easily with too little justification, it's just then it's not going to work for me. That's when it's going to seem like an angry teen power fantasy, you know? <laughs> so basically, that's what I realized with this story, and I presume what will happen with others. I'm going to keep my eye on it. But it's that this no man's land toward the end of the story is probably going to keep happening because it's such a hard area of the story to write notes for. It's just too deep in, you know? It's hard to know what the story will feel like when I get that deep in. It's hard to keep connecting those dots you know, from two years ago. Like, two years ago, how could I see exactly how the story would be now? How could I... How could I envision quite how it would feel and all the details that would happen in the meantime? Like, it's too far in to effectively pre-plot. So I think I just need to accept that there's gonna be this valley toward the end of stories that I write because they're just... it's. It's like throwing a dart at a dartboard that's, you know, fucking hundreds of feet away. You know, it's just too far away. 
to pre-plan and to really figure it all out. I just gotta trust in myself that I will come up with something when I get there. Like with the horror movie script, I don't know. That one's just not well-developed yet. I just don't have enough notes in general. But like, yeah, like I was saying, it's the same way with this Moscow story. But I, I feel pretty confident that it'll be okay. Like, I've got this long stretch where I don't exactly know what's going to go on. But I just got to uh, trust in myself and trust in the process and just stick with it and keep grinding away. And I think also, because one of the big refrains over and over with this podcast is that I go slow because, I mean, I still may have kind of a shitty first draft. It probably has a lot of problems. I'm sure things will change a lot in the second draft and there'll be a lot of work still to do. But I still go slowly because I want the underlying structure to be as good as it can be, you know? Like I don't want to take a wrong turn and then start building on that wrong turn. You know, I don't want to throw good money after bad. I don't want to uh, rush along with like word counts and daily goals and blah, 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 and push past something that could have been better and just continue on from there. Because I mean, if you even do that once, I mean, I feel like it's uh, very hurtful to the foundation of your story, to like the emotional, verisimilitude of it to the sense of maybe realism is the wrong word but like sense of personal realism or just sense of personalness you know i gotta trust that when i get to this big empty spot as long as i have been truthful to the story and to myself and to the things that i like and to the things that i think are interesting as long as i've done that on the way there Things will hopefully line up, you know? I mean, cut to fucking four years from now, I'll be working on some other story, and I'll probably get to this same point and be like, I don't know, man, it's fucked up. I can't save this thing. It's all fucked up. I don't know what happened. I got three quarters of the way through and I got nothing. But for now, it's turned out okay. I come up with a bunch of stuff. There's way more than that shit I just said, but that's like the, that's what got me going. And once I got those pieces lined up, oh, there's such a cool part where it's like, like she's kind of experimenting with what she can do on this station. Nobody knows that the Akamulan is hooked up to her and that she can do these things. So it's more just like, hey, what if I wanted to? What if I wanted to blast a hole through this wall? Could we do that? And the Akamulan is like, I'm not gonna kill anybody but other than that, hey, it's up to you. You want to blow a hole through the wall? We can do that. And she'll be like, no, no, I mean, I'm just asking. I don't want to blow our cover right now. But then she can be looking through kind of the personnel files or whatever. Here's all the people on the station. Here's the different things they can do. And that's when she notices that not everybody can do everything. In fact, no one can do even most things, you know, that everyone has been delegated their own responsibilities on the station. But they're all limited in the ways they can access the Akamulan. But she's not. She can do all of it. Short of having it kill people. It won't do that. That's just like too hard-coded, too hardwired in its being that it doesn't want to do that. 
So she's looking through all this stuff and she sees over in the corner, because this is all abstract. It's all like, I don't know, fucking I'm flying through the matrix, whatever. The connection is all just in her head. Hey. And a jogger just went by, person number two. I was just looking, I was on the other side of the river, because that's where my parents live, looking across the river at this park. You know, you can see it. You can see the big square of trees where there's no houses. And I was like, oh yeah, that's Odell Park. Look at that, look how big it is. And here I am, there's me and two other people. <laughs> the fuck? But anyway, she's looking through these personnel files. And yeah, okay, this person can do this, this person can do that. And then she sees over in the corner, like, hey, what's that thing? Nobody has access to that stuff. There's only one little mark over there of anybody doing stuff with it, and it's me. <laughs> what is that stuff? And as she looks into it, she realizes, like, oh, that's demolition. That's the stuff the Akamulon won't let other people do. But in order to partner up with her, it had to give her access to everything. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, 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 wait a minute. What's the title of this novel again? It's called Explode. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So anyway, that's some pretty high level fucking pontificating of like, hey, here's something you might notice when you're <laughs> four fifths of the way through your novel. Hey, maybe you've been working on it for two years and suddenly this situation happens. Probably a limited audience for this particular talk. But if that's you, then cheers. You're not the only one who has insufficient notes for the home stretch. Not quite the home stretch, because I got shit tons of notes for the very end of this book. But just before the home stretch, that weird, the weird no man's land, the swampy marsh. Did I say at the start this was going to be short? I bet I did. Why do I? I should never say that again. Ever. <laughs> like, what the fuck am I thinking? Of course it's not going to be short. But I think that about covers what I wanted to say on that topic. Uh, for Song of the Day. So, uh, when I was on the mountain in Fukuoka, I did some episodes about music. Like, different songs that made me think of scenes from the various stories I'm working on. And one of them was the opening to this story, where I used the Bjork song, Hunter. And I remember saying in that episode, like, I don't know what I would do if this was a movie and I couldn't get the rights. If Bjork's people, Bjork, if they were like, nope, not gonna happen. Like, what would I do? Like, this is the song. This is the way to open this story. I don't have a second choice. I guess I could use a cover or something, but... But I came up with a second choice the other day. I was just listening to some older shit. And I actually completely forgot about this band. It's a band called How to Destroy Angels. And it's essentially Nine Inch Nails. It's Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, the two Nine Inch Nails guys. But the singer is Trent Reznor's wife. So basically it's Nine Inch Nails with a different singer. But it was really cool. They only put out one album, as far as I know. And this song is called A Drowning. 
and it's uh, more downbeat than the Björk song, more depressing, but I could totally see making this work. Like if I used this instead, if I was making the movie of this story, this song could be the opening and it would just be the same basic beats, the same basic things happening, just more languid, more downbeat, more depressed, more flashbacks, basically. A lot more flashbacks to her uh, planet exploding and all the people she knows dying. <laughs> and, you know, the real tough shit. Just because this song is slower and longer. But basically, if you recall, which of course you don't, how could you? Well, really, only I can keep all this junk in my head. But basically, the uh, first chorus and verse would just be her waking up in the, the museum. Maybe truncated a bit, because that is quite long. Then as she leaves the museum and you see the station proper, there's these like discordant horns in the second verse that would be perfect for that. And then when the second chorus hits, that's when she sees one of her fellow aliens and has to go hide away somewhere to have a fucking nervous breakdown. I could totally use this song. It would be really cool. And it might even be more cool because the song I've always had in my mind as the final song of the story slash movie is the Nine Inch Nails song called Field on Fire. And in fact, why don't I just play both of those if you're willing to sit around and listen to some songs. I'll play A Drowning Leading to Field on Fire. Because one thing I love about this song, A Drowning, is it's like definitely about being like suicidal and being at the end of your rope and running out of options and running out of faith and hope that things are going to change or that you're going to survive in life but not in an angry yelly kind of way because there's a lot of songs like that fucking papa roach type shit but i just don't think that's really the right tone suicide what little experience i've had with it is far more quiet you know i've had Basically, friends of friends have killed themselves. Nobody I've really known directly. But whenever I hear these stories, well, like... So this one girl I knew back in the day when I lived in Vancouver, she had a friend whose boyfriend hung himself. And it was like, they were well off, they had money, they were on a ski trip at the time, and he just exhibited no signs of anything being wrong. And she found him, he had hung himself, in the closet and it's just like that seems like more the story you know it's like you don't necessarily see it coming i mean like i don't know take famous examples anthony bourdain he had his problems he had his issues but really no one expected that and that seems more like the reality you know it's like i mean it's a weird thing to generalize about but it seems like if someone is openly expressing that they're going to kill themselves, you know? It's almost like that's not really what a suicidal person would necessarily do. That seems more like someone who, well, who knows what their motives might be. And maybe they really are, but, but what I've anecdotally experienced more in life is that the person who's going to kill themselves is the quietest person in the room, man. They're the ones who 
can't talk to you and can't explain what's going on and can't ask for help and can't express themselves. And that's the tone this song hits of just like, it's so quiet. The chorus is just, please anyone, I don't think I can save myself. I'm drowning here. And I just, man, it just hits me. It's like, just that, that quiet, the quiet voice that you barely notice saying, I'm drowning. Like, man, it's creepy as fuck. And I think playing these songs back to back, I think, is a good way to illustrate what I'm trying to express with this story. It's like I said, this character is an asshole, is a fucking dickhead. But if she starts the story feeling like this drowning song, and she ends the story with this, like, conquering fucking crazed, like, barbarian just demolition song. It's like, if you were in the place of song number one, if you were feeling like that, if you are at the end of your rope, if you are hanging off the cliff by one finger, if it's, if you're almost drowning, if it's almost like you just, like you would do anything to not feel like that. You would do anything to get out of that situation. And if that means fucking shit up and just causing chaos, If the only way you can see out is going to fuck with a lot of people, you're still going to do it. You know, it's like one of those things that is just so, so interesting that I think we're getting a better beat on as a society now is that, you know, bad people that do bad things, that's just too easy. They're not just bad people doing bad things. They're just, that's their survival mechanism. Something is really wrong, and they got to do whatever they can to claw their way out of that situation. And yeah, next episode I might talk about why this, uh, the themes of this book are potentially a little abstract and hard to... Uh, seems like this might be a hard thing to pitch to somebody. But yeah, I'll talk about that next time. So once again, thanks for listening. Here is A Drowning by How to Destroy Angels, followed by burning bright field on fire by nine inch nails and i'll talk to you next time
Hey, here's a little bonus bit for anybody who listened to all the songs. Man, this is weird. It's a few days later. I'm walking through that park again, but uh, it's just this un... I don't know. The, the weather is so weird in New Brunswick. Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, how it goes from hot to cold to hot to cold, and it just, like... It makes everything melt and then freeze into ice. Like, all the sidewalks in this town are just ice. Like, I've never seen anywhere in the world that's like this, where it's just fucking... It's ridiculous. So anyway, today it's like annoyingly warm. 
because I got my long underwear on and my winter coat, but it's just not cold today. Plus I'm walking uphill through this fucking forest. I just can't take it anymore. I'm just so sweaty and hot. So I just had to stop for a sec to just like take my coat off and just drape it over my book bag and just like, fuck, let's just wait. <laughs> let's just wait for me to cool down. So I'm in a t-shirt right now, even though it's still just snow everywhere, super middle of winter, super snow. Ugh, it's like annoying. <laughs> it's weird to complain about good weather, but when you're all geared up for winter, it would be better if it was cold. This is fucking... Anyway, while I was walking through here, I was listening to those two songs myself, even though it's a few days later. I was just like, I was listening to some podcast, and I'm like, I'm sick of this shit. I'm whoever this is I'm listening to, blabbing about whatever. It's just listening to some, some music. So it got to that song. So I played a drowning, and... Uh, field on fire back to back i'm like oh, i'll do that same little thing i did on the podcast let's just listen to those and think about the story and more and more i'm liking that idea of if it was a movie of the song a drowning for the opening because it's way sadder and way more downbeat but uh but when i like visualize it man it's like man it's good it would really work but uh, just listening through them and then kind of envisioning the ending, I've got all these different variations on the ending and different slants, because like I was saying, it's like that's uh, too deep into the story to really be something you can solidify before you get there. So I got a lot of different potentials. And I've even got two different styles of ending. That uh, episode I did in Tokyo about endings, where... I've got uh, an idea for if it was a movie, I would take the story a step further, where after the station blows up, she goes and rendezvous with her people, and uh, we meet them right at the end. Whereas if it was a book, which it will be, maybe I would stop before then, just she's on her way up to meet her people, and just stop right there. But I was just thinking, uh, I think I can maybe, again, I'll just, when I get up the hill and out of this, these woods, I uh, go to a coffee shop and jot this down. Oh, are those people? There's actually people here today, so that's nice. Nice thing about the warm weather. Congratulations, people. You're fucking taking advantage of the beauty of nature. <laughs> there they are. Shit, well, let's keep walking. But yeah, this is pretty much the ultimate, like, writer thing, you know, the uh, stereotypical view of what a writer does. I'm just walking through the forest, and I'm dreaming, daydreaming about my little story. The, uh, you know, the, the idyllic version of what a writer does. But I was thinking about the ending as I listened to that song, and I had this idea that I think could work, would definitely be cool for the movie, but could work for the novel as well. So let me just fucking spit it out toss it on here is that she watches the station explode and she goes up she's on a little small shuttle and she goes up and rendezvous with the bigger ship that she's arranged for all of her there's like I guess seven other people from her species there's going to be eight in total but we don't really know them we've only briefly met a couple of them throughout the story so she doesn't really know them either because uh Basically, they've all been avoiding each other because they don't want to deal with the uh, situation they're in, that they're all orphans, that they're all survivors of this cataclysm that destroyed their whole planet and everybody they know. If they don't see each other or talk to each other, they don't have to deal with that and talk about it. But now I was thinking she could go up and go onto the ship 
and she just blew up <laughs> this other ship, this ship they've been stuck on this whole time. This weird bureaucracy ship that was just driving everyone nuts and making everyone insane and just making their depression worse. She blew that fucking thing up and they all just watched it explode. <laughs> so I was thinking, I mean, she's still just a kid. She's just a dumb kid. So what if she came onto the ship and as a way of like introducing herself to them, she doesn't act imperious. She doesn't act commanding. What if she just has like a big grin and just sticks her tongue out like, <laughs> look at that, right? Look what I just did. And then I thought that could make one of the other members of her species like crack up and then just go in for a big hug and they go in for a big group hug like a big huddle of just like fuck yeah we're back you know we're crazy we're fucking we're crazy ass warmonger nutso fucking psycho people but but we are just so utterly neutered by what happened to us and now we're back. The destruction can start again. The fucking path of insanity that was our species can keep going. And here's where it starts again. And they're all in this big huddle, in this big group hug. And somewhere just in that mass of, of big rhino aliens hugging each other, she feels someone's fingers. And she just grips them. You know, she doesn't know which one of them it is. It doesn't matter. They just grip fingers and that's the end i think that's super cool all right thanks for listening i'll see you next time it's the start of the end surrender the throne the blood on my hands covered the holes we've been surrounded by vicious cycles and we're truly alone the scars are yours to atone we've been surrounded let them sing let them search the end, surrender the